having a growth mindset and believing however you have been about money or however you have thought about money can change. So I get to set those rules. Hello. <laughs> Welcome Thank to you. episode two of How to Thrive. Um, super excited to be releasing the second episode. How's your week been? Really good. Really, really good. Uh, I have had the pleasure of doing some team training in Swindon and then Big today we're in London. So it's been an exciting um exciting week back in full swing after the Christmas restorative break that I think we all needed I hope everybody's was restorative powered by cheese powered by cheese yes exactly and a little port with my cheese <laughs> um so yeah I had really good week really enjoyed talking to a people team about human factors starting to those light bulb moments when people go oh Maybe I can what it's all you know, about that doing more, doing less. And I love that it was the people team. Yeah. Right? It wasn't it wasn't veterinary professionals, it was, no, it was the people it was, team. Yeah. Yeah. Veterinary so organization, but yeah. the people team, including everybody. That's the that's the thing, yeah. isn't it, right? Bring everybody for the journey. Don't expect people to play catch up. Everybody deserves to have the tools to to thrive. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, I am floating on cloud nine because this week obviously we have released not well, not just uh, the podcast, mm -hmm. episode one of the podcast, but um, How to Thrive has gone live. Ooh, rhymes. Um, so yeah, tickets now available, which is yeah. going to be awesome. And three, three days. days. Yeah, three yeah. days. Tell us about that. Home. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've got Junior Day, which is about, um, for those who kind of those resilient skills, I suppose, that we talk about a lot. So yeah. we'll be talking about communication, connection, resilience 101, priority management. We've got some breath work in there. Um, day two is for um, the mid-level, so yeah. that point when you are thinking, um, where do I go next? You're starting to develop your own management style um, and you're also kind of thinking and planning ahead for your career. And then the third day is senior day where we're really, really going to drill down into the skills that, well, the human skills that lawyers of the future are going to need. So mm -hmm. how, what skills do we need to work um, most efficiently and most effectively alongside tech and AI? Um, I've been speaking to some amazing speakers this week. So yeah, um, yeah so the agenda is going to be released in the next maybe seven to 10 days. And it's going to be- I can't wait. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to be really exciting, good. isn't it? And, yeah. and actually our, our guest, our first guest on the podcast is Laura Ann. And she, um, Laura Moore, who's a money mindset coach, and um, she is speaking on the resilience day about financial wellbeing, which I'm hugely excited about. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was a great, a great conversation with her. Yeah, which I'm super excited to to share with everybody. So um, do keep listening, um, listen to our conversation with Laura, and then join us at the end. Helen and I kind of take away our learnings from it, and um, yeah distill it down to our the legal and veterinary professions can't wait yeah enjoy we are so excited today to welcome our guest laura to these beautiful surroundings um a huge shout out to the wonderful team at travis smith who are hosting us we were really keen to do as much of this in person as possible um and that simply wouldn't have been possible without the support of the team here so on behalf of us all thank you very much travis smith Laura, welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, you are exactly the sort of person that I wish that I had known actually all through my life because I feel like um, it would have been so empowering to kind of have all the knowledge that you now have. One of the things that we talk about a lot um, when we're delivering resilience workshops to kind of junior lawyers is about, um, we talk about six pillars of um, resilience and one of them is financial well-being, And it's something that 
I still feel pretty clueless about, but I know that it's really important and how much it would have helped me. So I'm really looking forward to kind of deep diving into that and the importance that has for us. Um, but before we start any of that, like, let's get to know you. Um, let's know kind of like your journey and what brought you to be here today. Brought me to where I'm at, uh, the Metropolitan, like, no, joking. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So uh, if I rewind a little bit to sort of like childhood, I was raised in a family where we didn't have a lot of money, you know, working class family. Mum and dad both had full time jobs. I've got three brothers and sisters. Like when the last one came along, the holidays abroad stopped. <laughs> it's your fault. Um, but I really saw firsthand the stress that money or lack of can bring in a family and an environment. And, you know, I, I have really strong memories from being younger of things happening with money where I was like, oh, I don't know if this is like, is this normal? Is this not normal? I'm, but I'm really aware that my parents are very stressed. Um, and then when I was 18, done my A-levels, you know, I'd gone through school. I decided I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to be an actress. So I was like, I'm going to go to drama school. Now, at the time drama school so this was like 10 years ago drama school was fifteen thousand pounds per year and you couldn't get a loan for it so now you can do it through university you get a student loan but at the time it was like cough up the money <laughs> so i was like maybe a delusional 19 year old but i was like great i better go find fifteen thousand pounds then like i knew my parents couldn't give me money for that so and i wasn't gonna i don't know what it was but i wasn't gonna let money be the thing that stopped me I was like if I have to go when I'm 25 or when I'm 30 that's fine so I got a job for a marketing agency at 19 and by the time I was 22 I'd saved 15,000 pounds and but then basically before I started the course literally two weeks before my best friends were like trying to come to Australia and I was like mm, that sounds pretty fun <laughs> but basically I made this decision based on which one I wanted not based on which one I could afford and I found it so freeing and like I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, money is such an amazing tool. Like, and I then went and spent every single penny. But I did so many cool things. You know, I scuba dived, I skydived, I went to Thailand, Bali, I went to so many places. And when I came home, and I was really grateful and lucky I got my old job back. So I managed to kind of like get straight back into the world of working. But I was like, it's something had clicked in me. I was like, I don't want to be an actress anymore because if anybody is in that world, it is very, very hard and very competitive. Um, and it just wasn't for me. As much as I love it, it wasn't something I was willing to kind of endure. And I just set up a blog and I was talking about travel and yoga and beauty and fashion. But whenever I sat down to write a blog, it was always about money. And I was just like, maybe this is just what I'm kind of meant to like talk about. And I just leaned into like all these little curiosities. And then fast forward like three and a half, four years, it's now my full-time job. <laughs> so I got trained um, as a financial coach in 2021 been on socials I've got my podcast and it's honestly just kind of it's it's grown out of my own personal experience both negatively and positively with money and wanting other people to experience yeah. that so just explain to me if, and, and for everyone who's listening just the difference between a financial coach and a financial advisor because I, I you probably get kind of that question quite a lot but what is what is the difference so that so with a financial advisor I would be taking your personal situation, understanding all the things about your your finances, and I would be recommending specific products, 
specific accounts, specific investments, and telling you exactly what to do with your money. So I might say, right, you know, Claire, you've got X amount. If you invest it in this, you should make this return. And if you, you know, I'm telling you what to do and I'm predicting. With financial coaching, it's less about me telling you what to do with your money and more about empowering you to make your own financial decisions and educating you on what your options are. So I could educate you about investing and explain why it's important and the different ways you could invest. Yeah, I might talk about pensions and stocks and shares, ISAs. You then have to make that decision for yourself. So that's one part. I guess that's the more practical part. And then the emotional part is helping you to understand what your relationship is with money because money is so emotional. So whereas financial advisors are not doing that, it's how much have you got? How are we going to make the most out of it? Um, so yeah. So let's let's dig in. Let's go let's go straight in and talk about kind of the emotional side of money and kind of the relationship I guess we all have with it. Um yeah, and kind of like how it how it fits in because I think a, a lot of people myself for a long time would think of money as just like this tangible yeah. thing and then maybe it's only more recently where I've realized there's a real emotional yeah. tie to it. I think we discussed that I felt that uh, when I was in, um, like when I was in private practice or when I was in um, full-time employment as a GC, I would literally spend every penny that I earn and, you know, whether that be on clothes and loads of materialistic things. And now that I, we, we found it being human and um, I, I left my kind of full-time permanent role as a GC, I don't find that I have the need anymore to go and, and, and spend money. You know, I can walk into shops and, and walk straight out again without having bought anything, mm -hmm. which to people who know me is kind of just yeah. like, what uh, is going wild. on? <laughs> and I think it's only really when I kind of look back, it's like, I think it was because I was not unhappy, but I was trying to justify my life decisions yeah. of going, I'm justifying the fact that I'm I'm kind of given over this five days a week to a job that perhaps isn't fulfilling all of my values, but... I'm justified by going being really materialistic and now I'm doing something that I absolutely love. I'm like something switched and it's quite subconscious. So I don't know if that resonates or. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The thing I always say is money is, our money decisions are emotional, not logical. So we'll make a decision from emotion, whether we know it or not, and then we justify it with logic. So that's why we're always saying to ourselves why we've done something. And the kicks, because the way that that kind of works, right, is we have thoughts and thoughts and words, you know, like language, that creates an emotion or a feeling within us. That feeling is what drives our behavior. So that's how the way that, and and if you have that, sorry to touch, like if you have that behavior over and over again, that becomes your reality. Mm. So the way that you think and feel about money is what your reality will be. So when you hear that, I think sometimes people get a bit like, oh, you know, really? But when you break it down, if you're doing something over and over again that's driven by emotion, so that could be, for example, maybe you are someone who, like me, I, when I was younger, I really believed that money was really hard to make because all I ever used to hear from my dad was money doesn't grow on trees. And I think that's a really common one. Like I did a workshop today and I said that. I said, how, raise of hands how many people used to hear that. 90% of people were like, yeah, me. <laughs> but if it's not that, there's other phrases. And that made me go, well, if my dad's out working all the time and we don't have any money, well, money must be really hard to make. And he said, it doesn't grow on trees. So then as I've got older, I've built up this picture of what it means to earn money. So that actually made me a massive saver. I was a total money hoarder, which people are like, oh my God, I love that you could save. I'm like, but it came from place of fear and lack and scarcity. It wasn't just because I had the money habits down to 
to a T. It was this idea of like, no, I'm not going to get any more money. So when I get it, I'm going to hold on to it. So that's something to do with like your money story. So you'll have a money story. You'll have a money story. Obviously your sisters. So what's interesting is yeah. even though you, if you were raised in the same household, you still might have a very different opinion on money. So me, I'm a, I was a total saver and it, I was hoarding it and I felt very guilty if I spent it. And that's because I was scared I wasn't going to get any more. My brother, my older brother, raised by the same family, only two years apart, the complete opposite, the biggest spender. Because he's like, well, if I'm not, if it's hard to make and I'm not going to get any more, why wouldn't I just enjoy it when, it when it comes? So same experience, but very different sort of end goal or a consequence but it's always the emotion that drives us so like becoming really aware of what your emotions are around money are like is so important and just starting to unpick it and ask yourself the questions like how does spending make me feel how does saving make me feel how does money make me feel in general like are clear clear indicators of kind of okay well where do I need to go for that but there's always going to be yeah. emotion attached to it I think that is really interesting and and perhaps we I mean we've never spoken about I suppose each other's relationship with money but I think I I held almost how much you earned as like your 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 your, your, yeah. your success level if you if you like and um you know it's it's kind of and now I look back it actually I've done a lot of work myself and I know that actually for me that isn't my level of success at all um but I I don't know whether that was um kind of an intrinsic learning or kind of like a subconscious learning from whatever from kind of society or my perception of it that was essentially, you know, however, how much you earn is the definition of how successful you are. Well, I think the thing is, so the way that your money mindset is created, which is a set, your money mindset is basically a set of unique attitudes and beliefs towards money that impact how you save, spend and invest. That comes, your beliefs are kind of created when it comes to money from five main places. So individualistic, which is your money story, like what happened to you as a child, but you have societal. So like in the UK, you don't ask people how much things were. You don't like to talk about things. You go to the US, they're on stage like, I'm making a hundred grand, <laughs> right? So different. Yeah. So that makes yeah. it because the whole American dream. You've got cultural, religious, and generational. So there's all these different set of beliefs and we absorb the messages from the people either closest to us or that are in our sort of, you know, communities. And I think that this idea around your net worth being attached to your self-worth is that message is portrayed in so many ways because material things being like a symbol of like status. Mm. And I think it's hard because I always say to people like wealth is silent. So when you see someone walking down the street and maybe they've got all these designer stuff, they're driving a designer car, you don't, you don't see how much they've saved or invested. You just see what they've spent. Like maybe back thousands of years ago you'd know how rich someone was because they had like four goats and whereas yeah. like mary's only got two goats like you know they're richer but that's it's not like that anymore so it's like flipped on its head but this idea that actually success is attached to money and attached to like um wealth and success is something that is inherently uh like universal for everybody like when you get to this income or when you get to this situation but I've worked with clients and people in my community that earn way like the, the disparity between the two you've got people right at the top earning more than a lot of people could ever imagine and then you've got people at the bottom maybe they would go god I could never live on that and some of these people are happier the people at the top and financial well-being and and your relationship with money you're not happier the more money you have it's the way you feel about it it's the what you do with it it's all of those things and I think that's that's what I'm trying to change in the world and for me, I think that it's particularly important, I think, um, in the legal world, actually, because I think it's it, it's 
it's well documented, you know, kind of the astronomical figures that, that junior lawyers are are getting. Um, and I think for me, it's, you know, I mean, I, I think I joked with you that when I got my first paycheck, when I qualified, I, you know, I went to Mulberry and splashed out on a Mulberry handbag. And at the time I thought, you know, my God, I've made it. <laughs> but then I look back now and I'm like, my God, if I had actually invested some of that money, it may have afforded me so much more choice or at least perceived choice, you know, when when I grow older. And that's not that's not to say my career would have taken any different track, but maybe you wouldn't feel like you had to carry on doing something. You know, and I talk to friends now who are kind of would be my equivalent kind of level of, of qualification within the within the um, industry. And then they're not happy or at least they're not perceiving themselves to be happy. And and but but ultimately the message is I can't get out. Yeah. You know, I've got the mortgage, kids are in like expensive school, I like my nice holidays, or you know, all of these things. And it's like my lifestyle now means I'm trapped. And as I say, it doesn't necessarily mean they would change their lifestyle, but they this this feeling of like I haven't got any control over it. Um and I think that is that can have a really negative impact on your well being and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well there I did a piece of research like Two years, maybe it's 2020. Who knows? All the time has rolled into one. A couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, around the connection between money and mental health. Now, there is loads of like stats out there and stuff, but I was involved in this piece where we were asking specifically my followers and other financial influencer followers. So it's people in our communities. And the link between money or financial literacy as well with mental health, so financial anxiety, the connection is wild. It's so interlinked. And... I always say it's not, it isn't how much you have. It's what you're doing with what you have and the way in which you're creating financial security for yourself. And the irony is as well as I have a client, the opposite end who she had a large sum of money saved in cash. And I said, you know, what does money mean to you? Like, what, what, what do you want it for? And she was like, security and like safety. I was like, okay, how do you feel that way now? She was like, no, like I'm really worried, did it, you know, list of things. She wasn't sleeping, she was really overwhelmed. And yet she had this money that was there for this specifically. And because she didn't know what her like enoughness number was, people always go, I just want enough. What does that look like? But she also wasn't viewing the money that she had as giving her safety. So again, it just proves it's the perception as opposed to the actual situation. You have to really ask yourself and like challenge your thoughts, challenge your beliefs. And simply having like an emergency fund, money and investments, and not just having spent it all, it, it buys you a peace of mind. Like it fully gives you something that nothing else can really give you. Even if you're happy in your career and your lifestyle and you want to stay in this job until the day you die, knowing that you have money that you can fall back on or that can just be there to support you in case of either emergencies, but just life, literally money gives you options. And I suppose one of the things kind of, I think was interesting is like we often talk about amongst ourselves about the difference between people who have careers, which they're really driven by passion um, and kind of those careers, which, you know, I'm sure there are a huge number of, of people out there who are passionate about marking up a document in red ink. But I think potentially there are probably more people who are passionate about, um, you know, saving animals and animal welfare and animal well-being. But I think there is then this, like, you basically, this almost belief that you have to leave your if if you want to truly enjoy your job and you want to love it then you basically have to sacrifice kind of the the financial element of it and actually i think that's quite disempowering and is is it because you actually have to 
you have to separate that or is it that we just don't know how to maximize what we've got so i mean i mean you're probably in an industry exactly like yeah. that I, it's, it's really interesting sitting listening to the conversation and and i can feel myself sort of fighting against various different emotions in that um you know i know that your claire starting salary would be much higher than my ending salary mm -hmm. after 25 years in a career in veterinary um and that's just the way that life is right so but what i'm listening to is i'm hearing what you're saying about different perspectives and community and what i think is interesting is it doesn't matter how much money you have it's what you do with it and the kind of the the understanding you have with it and the relationship you have with it that means whether you're happy or not yeah. so it's not that it's not about a number yeah. so much as mm -hmm. what you're doing with it so i think from my perspective whilst i'm kind of fighting this this little bit of an imposter in the back of my mind going well actually historically i'm a bit like a stick of rock snap me in half i'm probably going to say veterinary nurse in there i'm thinking okay well hang on a minute i'm not on the same ball game as as a lawyer really you know historically you know a lawyer can earn over a hundred k in 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 like their first few years of thing. I you know I don't mind saying that my salary salary when I finished clinical nursing was thirty five k. So for me, I'm feeling a bit like oh should I join this conversation or not? But now I'm wondering actually, how do I how do I get over that and how do I what can you do regardless of the actual. Yeah number what can you do to be like really savvy so actually do you know what if you're just starting your career and that means that you're earning you know i don't know what's equivalent with for paralegals and things like that what what's their kind of salary you know yeah. what i mean there's a huge thing. range still in the legal industry i mean you know not everyone's earning the amount that you know the nqs in yeah. in u.s law firms are in, you know earning um there's still you know a massive disparity and there's a lot of people within the legal profession too. You know, it's not it's not just the lawyers. The legal profession wouldn't be there without you know the people who um, essentially are the services which yeah, support them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how do we? So what yeah. I'm kind of trying to get to is how, how what advice can we offer? Like, or what kind of do you offer everybody? What's the kind of the things that you would say? Like these are like these are the wise wise things that you can start right from the beginning, even if you're only doing almost. I don't know, let's imagine somebody starting a Saturday job, for instance. Yeah. What what should I be telling my daughter as a Saturday girl to do with her money? Kind yeah. Of thing? And I think it's really interesting, just before I say, like, the way different industries, like, financially are rewarded. I, I listened to, I was trying to remember the name of the podcast. But I listened to a podcast talking about how the level, the amount of money that you make from your job, whether you're self-employed, run your own business, employed, doesn't always well most of the time doesn't actually reflect the work you're doing like you said you know nurses veteran nurses people that could be working crazy hours have to have be extremely skilled doesn't mean that you're going to be paid accordingly compared to you know if you think about maybe like I used to work in a marketing business love 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 I found marketing really interesting but all I was doing was just helping other businesses make money and I found it really unfulfilling, even though I enjoyed the skills. But I didn't have to be super skilled. I just like, you know, I learned how to sell and but it wasn't really technical. I didn't have to go to university. I didn't go to I didn't do a master's. And yet my my starting salary was like 12K. But by the time I left when I was like 27, I was on like 45K. And had I stayed there, I could have earned an insane amount. My boss wanted me to take over, but I had to take a moment and be like, okay, well, right now I've got two options. Follow a path that I have skills in and could potentially offer me a lot of money 
but I'm probably going to be fulfilled between the hours of nine to five, Monday to Friday. I can try and find bits of enjoyment or do I want to try and lead a more creative life? We still don't know what I could make financially because it could go both ways. But I want to do I want to give that a go? And that's a choice that you as a human get to make. Absolutely. No one's forcing you into like either industry. It's more being aware of. And I always say, try, you know, it's easier to say like, don't pick a job just because of the money. But if you are motivated by money, that's okay. But make sure that you really are motivated by that. And it's not society telling you that you should. Yeah. And that's what pushes you down because you will just end up miserable. Yeah. Like, that's what I always think. So I think it's really important, especially at the start of your career. But also, you know, I, I work with people who are in their 40s, their 50s who are like, oh, I've worked all this career. I don't have anything to show for it now. And I'm like, it's all right. You're at where you're at. You know, like, the, here are some things you can do. But I think the key thing, like, going back to it being like, it's it's not just about how much you make. It's about what you do with it. And I should probably caveat with that, that I've actually loved every moment yes. of my career. So yes. there's no amount of money that could, you, you know, yes. change that for yeah. me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, it, it's, um, but it does make some people feel like that they they almost can't really, you know, it might be prohibitive to yeah. some people to think that they couldn't, couldn't consider saving or what have you, because they're not in that kind yeah. of ballpark. Yeah, and I think it's also really frustrating for especially something like what you do, like it's so important and you are obviously really passionate about it and to then not be financially rewarded for it as much as other people, like I find that frustrating for all different people because you say, go do a different, you know, maybe go do a different job then that's going to give you more money. But like, that's not how it works. And like, it's that, it's, it is, it is like that part of the world. It's like, that's really unfair. <laughs> and you could spend your life like campaigning for the raises. But um, yeah, and I think, so first off as I always say, like do not attach your net worth to your self-worth. Like really find, try to find some detachment. But I think the key thing is, money mindset works like improving your relationship with money and understanding like what does money mean to me what role would I like money to play in my life and what are my financial values so for me my financial values are travel education and health so I like to travel <laughs> I like to go on holidays um I love learning doing courses reading books and health so I'm really into like holistic health so I will pay something's going on I'll pay to maybe see a herbalist or I'll buy organic food whatever that looks like those three things are really important to me that means that when I'm working making money thinking about how I'm saving and spending my money I can ask myself questions in alignment with those values now obviously I guess if you start off smaller you're going to have a smaller pot to work with but it actually lets you at least enjoy that money that you do have and I think part of the hard thing around this is like the comparison trap especially with social media nowadays, no matter, even if you have loads of money or not as much money, you go on social media, you see like people doing the funnest stuff all the time, every day ever. And you're like, oh, why am I, why am I not doing that? Even if you've actually been quite happy. Um, but I think on, a, on, a, on like a practical level, it's like really important from the start of your career to learn the, learn like delayed gratification of even putting away like 5% of what you earn. Because I think the, probably the biggest theme that I've seen out of people when I chat to them is this this frustration around, I've been in the workforce for X amount of years and I don't have much to show for it. So whether you are have a 10K starting salary or 100K starting salary, if you can put away the tiniest thing, it gives you that sense, it builds confidence in yourself and your own financial habits because you no longer say, I'm a spender. You identify with like, oh, I'm a saver. Then you can obviously make decisions with that money but I always think putting something aside is so important because it's like it's like a little nest egg and it makes you feel more there's like an actual like 
chemical and hormonal release that's happening when you're doing something that you've set out to do and is working. But I think also defining your own goals as well is really important. So like, what do you actually want from your life? So I've got some friends who they're not interested in traveling. They're not, they want to stay in the hometown. They want to buy a house with a partner, have some kids, et cetera. Then I've got some friends who like, I want to set up my own business and travel the world. And like, neither is right or wrong, but it's like, what thing lights me up? And how can I make sure that I get there? Is it that I need to maybe learn to invest from a younger age? Is it that I actually maybe do need to get a side hustle and like ferry up? Because when I was, when I saved that 15 grand when I was 19, I had my full-time job, but I probably, I did loads of other random stuff on the side. I used to do like medical role play where you had to play as a, a, a patient and I'd go in and like doctors would do like exams for me and I'd get a couple of hundred pounds and anything I made I would put away. It's so much easier to actually save when you have a, like an emotional reason and motivation behind it. And I think getting especially young people into that from a younger age is such a good like place to start. But from a mindset level, it comes down to more understanding like what is my relationship with money like now and what would I like it to be? Because I think a lot of the time people fall into the habit of like, well, this is what it is. So this is how I feel and that's how it's always going to be. But having a growth mindset and believing however you have been about money or however you have thought about money can change. So I get to set those rules. So would you would you kind of like siphon that money off so you almost never see it? It just goes immediately, you know, your paycheck comes in, you kind of siphon, I guess, whatever you, whatever you can afford. It doesn't have to be 5%, it can be whatever. And I think... You know, I'm sitting here listening to our conversation and and I think I feel like I feel obliged to kind of say that I I feel like we all sit here in quite a privileged space mm, yeah. where we can talk yeah, about this. Definitely. And that obviously there are a lot of people who, you know, ultimately, especially with the rise in the cost of living, that hand to mouth kind of, yeah. you know, they don't have... Yeah one percent half a percent that they can they can do away with every month and so we do sit here from a, a place of incredible privilege to be able yeah. to even have this conversation um but i think ultimately that the, the, the kind of the driver for the conversation is around this ultimately when you move into a profession you're quite often handing people their first big paycheck whatever that paycheck may be and how do you you know how do you maximize the potential of, of that I mean, one thing that um, we were joking about on when we spoke was about compound interest. Yeah. Uh, not to get too technical. Um, <laughs> I was like, you what, sorry? Yeah. And I joke because it's like, I know in theory that compound interest is the way forward. Um, and yet I don't really understand it and I don't know much. And I think maybe that's also kind of, and again, this goes through this, and we, we've talked about this in, in other podcasts about this feeling that acknowledging a vulnerability is is quite hard and you get to an age like I'm probably at where I'm like god I should really know what compound interest is and I should be doing it and maybe you know I should know what what it's about but we don't acknowledge that vulnerability so we don't learn we don't grow um so maybe you know maybe you can explain can you explain yeah, compound I, interest yeah, in I a way that <laughs> favorite thing to talk about um I also think it's really like interesting because with money, obviously we weren't taught about any of this in school where I wasn't and I'm, I'm people coming through school now, they're having the same conversations, right? Of like, well, I wasn't taught this. But I think that that will be something that's campaigned for for a long time. And I do hope it changes because when it comes to building wealth, the biggest thing is time. Yeah. How long you are looking after and growing your money. But obviously as like a 16 year old, 
you don't really care about interest rates and inflation and you know and unless you're already in that world and someone's going to tell you you sometimes don't really find it like maybe till you're finding someone on Instagram or socials or someone that you meet and then once you even know it you then have to have the confidence and the education to act on it so it's like this long line of kind of steps that have to happen but basically compound interest <laughs> so Compound interest is when you have a principal amount, which basically means money that you have. I'll use it in the terms of investing. But if you were to put, uh, so let me think of the best way to do it without using too many different terms. Okay, so you have an, orig- a, an amount of money. That money goes into something that gives you a return. So if you saved your money, you might get 2%, 3% interest. If you put that money into an investment, it's going to make a percentage return. So it's going to make a profit. When with that profit, it gets added to your original amount. So let's say you had a thousand pounds, you made you know ten percent profit. That's one hundred pounds. So you now at the end of the year have one thousand one hundred. That rolls over to the next year, and you make interest on the whole amount. So you make interest on the principal amount and the interest. So then you have extra continued. The process continues. But what happens is it's essentially interest on interest. So it's like money making money, basically. It's money making money. It's free money in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and the powerful thing about it is that after a long period of time, that interest, it grow, it helps your money grow exponentially. So if you looked at it on a chart of like time and amount, there's going to be like a bell-shaped curve in the graph because at, after a certain amount of time, the amount you're making on interest gets bigger than how much you have originally put in and or adding to it. And this is why investing is so important. And I always say, this is one thing I love like talking about with people is if you are in the workplace and if you have a workplace pension, you already are an investor because your pension is being invested for you. So you don't get told that. (laughs) So learning how to invest from a young age is really like really, really powerful. So I guess the question is, I mean, how do you learn how to invest? Like for me, it feels like, you know, I feel totally and utterly clueless. it feels really complicated. It feels like something that I don't have the skill set to yes. do and I wouldn't know where to start. And it's all kind of shrouded in mystery and these terms that I don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, like, where, where do you start? So that that's, I think, what I find the most frustrating, right? There's the, the three main misconceptions around investing is that it's you have to be rich to start. It's like gambling and that it's complicated. Now, with the complicated one, especially for women, we've been left out of the financial conversation for years because the first ever stock exchange was opened in the 1600s. And <laughs> when did we, were we first allowed our own bank accounts? 1975. That's nearly 400 years that we've been left out of the conversation. So investing started ages ago. Like, of course we don't feel confident in it because we haven't had people that look like us. We haven't had any role models. And there isn't a language to it. And maybe it's conspiracy theory, but I honestly think that they've made this language so that it makes it complicated for a lot of people to not get involved. Because when you understand the language, like when I first learned about investing, I went on a date and I was like, yeah, I've got £20,000 in a bank account. I was obviously showing off. Um, And... But I was really proud of it. And this guy was like, oh, do you know by having your money sat in cash, like, you know, in an easy access account, you're losing money. It's probably the first point that I actually listened during that day. <laughs> I was like, whatever do you mean? But he explained the concept of like inflation and how if the cost of goods and services are going up every year, that means the buying power of your money is reducing. So I was like, I need to learn about investing. So I put something out on Instagram. I found a piece of research from Fidelity on women and money, and it was talking about investing, why less women invest, et cetera. And there was a guy who's a wealth manager, and he just reached out and said, I agree. 
The language is confusing and I would love to help. We went for a beer. He explained it all to me. And I was just like, why don't more people know about this? I was so infuriated by it. But from that point, it still took me a year of learning, researching, educating before I made my first investment. And it's that classic thing of women feel like they need to know like 110% of everything yeah. before they even get started. And, you know, this was a couple of years ago, so I think there was sort of less literature out there. Um, but that's one thing that I've started talking about and I'm really, like, really passionate about. And I talk about it on my podcast. I talk about it on my socials. Um, because really it's just, it's, it's putting, like, votes in the box of, like, confidence the more you learn. And there is an element of where you have to start taking action because of, like... Yeah. At some point, you've got to do something. Um, but yeah, I'm very passionate about it. And if you do want to learn, come to my Instagram or listen to my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, and I think I probably need to do that, to be fair. Because <laughs> I think I feel, I, I feel like quite, still quite held back by it, you yeah. know, like by not understanding yeah. it. And I, you know, ultimately it's that control piece, piece again. I mean, what's, what's, I mean, I was, I saw um, something you'd put on either LinkedIn or Instagram about going viral on TikTok, which I think is like, congratulations. I mean, like, you know, give me all the tips on how to do that. Um, when I finally worked out how to use TikTok, that is. <laughs> but I mean, obviously you're really tapped into kind of Gen Z and kind of what matters to them. And we read a lot now that actually money is there is a grounding level of importance yeah. naturally because we all need to eat and we all need to live and all this kind of stuff. But for Gen Z, it, it you know, that is a lot less important yeah. than general um, uh, alignment to your values and purpose and all that kind of thing. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it, the thing about like the current climate is like, I li sometimes I literally have to stop reading the news because I can't take in any more like negativity, especially when it comes to like the financial world. And if you don't fully understand it as well, it just makes you be like, this isn't for me. I, I'm not in a position to kind of like pay attention to it. And if you are just starting out in your career or you don't have as much money, like it can just feel like all too much. And I think there is this balance of people are, definitely younger people are starting to really understand that thing of like, well, money isn't everything. Like Gen Z's love the experiences. Like I'm on the cusp, I am a millennial, but I'm sometimes Gen, I act like a Gen Z. Gen Z, don't know which one it is. Um, but this idea of like voting with your money and using it like to be, to, to create an impact. But then there's also that thing of what, what that can turn into is like not caring about money and being like, well, I don't want to make money. I don't want, and it's split because you've got like the people that are making a lot of money online, you know, like tens of thousands a month because they've hacked figuring out how to make money on socials and they're laughing, but they don't know what to do with the money. And then you have the other side where it's kind of like the rejection of capitalism and people yeah. being really, you know, waking up to that and being like, well, I just... I don't want to do that. So it's like kind of a mix. And I think I always say to people like money doesn't have to be this like practical, boring, like stuffy thing that you don't need to pay attention to. There's actually a lot of power with money. And if you can have a good relationship with it, it's going to just amplify more of who you are. So if you're a good person and you're really generous, the more money that you have and the better you are with your money, the more you can give to charities that you care about or to friends and family, or you can shop from independently owned businesses that like you can vote with that. Mm. That doesn't mean you have to go after more money, but it's okay to invite more money in and to like hold on to more money um, if that allows that kind of like financial security, allows you with your values. But I think that there's always going to be a baseline of like 
your necessities being covered, like food, shelter, all of those, electricity. And like, I can't remember who did this piece of research, but it compared like level of income versus happiness levels. And it plateaus at a certain point. I think it's like 70 grand. Now we all have to, I think we all take into account, right? Money can buy happiness in the way of, it can buy you things that you really care about, but it's not the answer to happiness. And it's more like, I'm just more passionate about helping people understand that so they can make their own decisions around it like there isn't it's a bit like the difference between spirituality and religion i think in religions there's a lot of right and wrong like this is our god this is the way we do things this is whereas with spirituality it's like you can do what you want but it's all about love and kindness and connection that's kind of the difference there's not a right it doesn't matter if you have more or less money if you do this or that but it's what you're doing with what you have and how that makes you feel but because there's still that connection is being like spoken about or it's getting people to actually understand that. But I definitely think there is a difference in the way that younger people are viewing it. And I suppose sure. tying it then back to resilience, mm -hmm. I guess, and this kind of concept that um, kind of that feeling of control and kind of the impact it has, um, you know, and, and, and ultimately we talk about resilience in terms of um kind of the, the the power it gives you not only to um over your own well-being but your your power of kind of performance um and you know and, and the place that financial well-being places in that i think you know just 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 drilling down on that it's it's like as you were saying that if you've got this confidence that you have with with kind of money and if you have confidence in terms of that you you, you have got a nest egg or you are saving whatever it is like the, the power it gives you um, I think is is certainly really important. And all the, all the peace of mind. I was going to say, that's it, isn't it? It, it? It's that unexpected spend, isn't it? Whether it's a, a car repair, a boiler that's yeah. gone bang or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's stress, isn't it? Yeah. It really stresses you out if you haven't got a plan for it. Um, and, but knowing that you've got that kind of reserve fund where you think, well, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. I might be able to spend it on something really fun if it's if that's that's what I want to do and it goes well but otherwise I know that that's my backup plan if it's and I guess actually just this thinking about that we talk about wanting to live in you know wanting to live in the now and like you know why should I put stuff away for a day that might might never come type thing but ultimately by not by not having putting stuff away and not looking to the future you're actually causing yourself potentially quite a lot of stress in the moment which you know, has a massive impact on your on your health and your mental fitness and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So, you know, almost by 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 burying your head in the sand and not thinking about the future, you're causing yourself kind of stress right now. Yeah, and it goes it which on the flip side, if you just make a little effort to work through the emotional side of things and, like I say, do practically, you could automate it and you put a little bit away every month. You're, you, by buying yourself that peace of mind, it allows you to show up at work, in your life, in your social circles, in a more calm state, and you're actually less likely to spend more money because you're not being emotionally yeah. triggered. And there's loads of chemical releases going on when we spend money. So like when you shop online, you obviously get a massive dopamine rush because it's like three to five working days. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. But then a lot of the time, by the time the items come or whatever, it gets slung to the back of the wardrobe or, you know massive chemical release. It's like, where else am I getting my dopamine? And you don't have to think like that, but it's what is bringing me joy basically in life that doesn't always involve me spending money. And I always say to people, once you understand your emotional triggers, you can start to find ways to enjoy your life that don't always involve spending money, which allows you to put more money away, 
to do things that are probably bigger that you always want to do. So, and so, you know, and it's not about like saving the pennies to count the pounds because I'm a big believer in sort of creating wealth and look and, and maximizing and growing your money, not just like cutting back. But how you manage 10 pounds is how you're going to manage 10,000. So if you can get those financial habits good on a lower salary, if, and by the time you make more salary, you at least have the habits there, good to go, and you'll actually get to enjoy that money. Because otherwise what happens is you just inflate your lifestyle to your bigger salary. You feel no more secure. You feel no more safe. You feel no more well-being. If anything, you feel worse because it's like, I've got huge bills. And if anything happens, I don't have the money to pay for it. So it's just creating that, like, it's just creating that foundation for yourself before you kind of like pepper the other stuff on top. Wow. It's it's so sensible, isn't it? It's, it's mm-hmm. But it is the kind of, I really hope that our listeners feel as, as kind of re- almost reassured as I do right now because I'm just thinking that actually these things are, are not rocket science. Mm-hmm. These are things that we can all do, aren't they? This is this feels uncomfortable for me. Yeah. This is not an easy conversation to have. Like, no. And I know that that is kind of, you know, societal and probably historical. Like we, we don't talk about money freely. And so when we sit here talking about it, it does make me feel quite kind of, yeah. oh, I don't know, like I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think... We need to talk about it more because it is it is a massive, massive impact on 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 our well being, really. And so I think I think it is really important. Yeah, I think I think talking about it is is probably I've probably noticed the biggest change with in my friendship circle. And obviously, because of what I do, it kind of makes it easier. Because I'm like, everybody, let's sit down and talk about money. <laughs> but it's allowed my close friends to, you know, let's say we're going on a girly holiday. I can't afford that. Do you mind if we have this budget? Yeah, sure. Whereas what happens a lot of the time, everyone stays quiet. No one knows what anyone earns. No one knows how much anyone can afford what, you know. Oh, yeah, let's go here. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be the one to say no. You never can turn around and say, do you mind just coming to mine? I don't have much money at the minute. Or or my priorities are in saving at the moment. So I'm just not spending as much. Do you mind, you know, I'll host. Talking about money creates that space for you to 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 make decisions about your money because you're not just making the decision for you, but you then have to play that decision out in life for other people to see. And if you're not fully confident in it, the not talking about it part only makes it worse. That's what keeps us quiet. It keeps us shamed, and it causes more stress. So definitely, I love I love it when like oh I started talking to like my partner or you know my friends and I'm like yeah. Everybody talk about it. <laughs> That's it. So we just need to be able, it's another thing where we raise awareness and make it easier to talk about it, make yeah. it normal. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to say to your mates, I can't afford that, or can we do something different? Because, yeah. but you're right, it's not always easy to do, is it? Yeah. And even let's take the example, right? We all go out for dinner. Let's just say you go to a fancy restaurant, you're like, I'll just get a main. Yeah. yeah. Everybody on the table has starters, mains, desserts, and wine. You've got two two choices. Well, three. You just suck it up and pay because everyone's like, should we just split it? Yeah. You and you're like inside being like, oh my God, this is awful. You say something and you're like, oh, do you, you know, I just had, you know, and you can get a bit shirty about it. Like, well, I didn't, I didn't have those things. Like I did it. Or you go, oh guys, I'm not going to lie. I set myself a budget for tonight. Do you mind if I just pay? And funnily enough, the one that is hardest is the last one because there's so much shame attached to I was going to say, it's that. driving people into shame, isn't yeah. it? That belief that... You know, because they can't step up and be equal yes. in that way, they somehow are not 
not equal. Not but, equal, yeah. And then it dries. And it, as yeah. you were saying, then it pulls you back into maybe this kind of slightly aggressive approach. And then you kind yeah. of, we get into some conversations. Put into the threat about, like, state, aren't we? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's so it's also interconnected because you take that, okay, well, maybe let's say you had to put it on a credit card. It was three times the amount that you could afford. Then you're annoyed that you've had to do that and you've got to clear this debt because that eats into next month. So then what you end up doing is because you're really annoyed, you have a crap day at work. So then you get a takeaway and you've got like... And it sounds little, but they are the things, it's less about the money in that moment. It's about the emotion that you're feeling and the having the confidence and the ability to be like, actually, you know, like, let's just let's just chat about this or let's like work through it. And I think the whole burying your head in the sand thing is common for everybody at all salary levels. That's not a salary specific thing. Like I've worked with people who are on really high salaries and like, don't talk to my partner or don't talk to my friends. My friends don't know this. And I think like there is a stat in the UK that says, people would, I think it's like 68% of people would rather talk about their sex lives mm. than money. Really? Yeah. And it's just fascinating because that's so private and intimate. And yet people are like, yep, sign me up. I want to talk about that. <laughs> do not ask me my salary, but I will tell you what I do in bed. Like it's wild because it's, even though the conversation around mental health is still getting so much more spoken about and I love that, money's still like, still catching up. Yeah. I don't think it will get there, but it's yeah. taking time. So we ask all of our guests on um, the podcast to kind of end with um, what their three top tips for thriving are. And they can be, you know, related to the conversation or they can be left field or kind of whatever your top tips are for thriving. So, Laura. Okay. Now, normally I would be like, here are my three financial top tips. <laughs> can I give three financial ones and three life ones? Go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So three financial ones are work on your money mindset. So always look and just become aware of what your money mindset is because when you become aware of it, you can make a change. Um, pay yourself first. So saving at the start of the month, not at the end because you will never have anything left. And the last one is learn how to invest because you want to grow your money. So they're my three financial ways to thrive. Personally, number one is getting out in the sun. I know it sounds so basic, but it makes me so happy. Whether it's... At literally just popping out into my garden or I'm on holiday, like this being outside in, or should I say outside in nature, being around trees, being around the green, just makes me so happy. Number two is having a routine, a morning routine. I think especially if you run your own business or you're a self-employed or you're just, you know, in and out of an office, having a way to start your day where you go through a set of steps, whether it's one step or five steps, sets me up for the day. Um, And the last one is laughter really is the medicine for the soul. So just laugh as much as you can. Go to a laughing workshop if you want. <laughs> or just find some really funny friends. Oh, I love that. Fabulous. So, I mean, I feel I feel like I've, I've learned a lot and I need to go away and like compress it. And then um, I, I, th- I feel like I've got a lot of takeaways personally from that, that session. I, so I, I feel like I'm going to have to first off download TikTok for the first time yeah. so I, just so I can follow you. <laughs> then I'm going to have to tell my daughter yeah. to start to follow you because she won't take advice from me obviously yeah. but for you um, and then start to get savvy yeah. the, the one thing I always say like to anyone listening is if you haven't really heard of the con- like these concepts because we so believe that money is just practical and like stuffy and boring when you hear about the emotional side your brain will start to pick up on all the different things like you cannot unring the bell so once you've started to learn about it even if what you've just taken away from this is like a couple of light bulb moments, as opposed to practical, that will work wonders yeah. in the future. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Um, 
So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Um, so if you want to hear, find out more about Laura and the amazing work she does and about how accessible you make it, because I think that is a, a huge kind of thing is just like talking to you is like talking to a mate and that's phenomenal. Um, you can check her out at mindmoneysoul.co.uk. Um, you can also go to thrivelegal.co.uk and um, we'll, we'll link to um, Laura and the amazing work she does on there in the directory. So um, thank you so much for coming on board and um, educating us all and empowering us all. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Wow, Laura. So, well, I mean, I knew she wouldn't, but it completely didn't disappoint. Like the amount of energy and passion she has for what she talks about and her expertise is just it's actually really um catching yeah <laughs> yeah it makes you sit up and listen doesn't yeah. it it makes you want to really grab your finances and sort yeah. yourself out yeah. i mean we talk about resilience and we talk about different um like building blocks of resilience and we always put financial well-being on there mm -hmm. because i think from my my perspective i wish i'd known more because i think it would have given me more freedom because i think i was definitely um thought twice about moving out of kind of full-time permanent employment as GC because I was a bit like, oh, but you know, I get paid quite well. And I think if I'd, I would have done it earlier, I think if I had had the, the if I'd felt like I had control over my finances and I, I felt more empowered with it, I think it's such an important element, that kind of level of control. Um, but also really uncomfortable topic. Oh yeah, so much, so much. <laughs> I think it was, I don't know if your listen, viewers, listeners will have picked up, but I, I, it was a fantastic conversation, but I, there was there was a lot of discomfort amongst us. I think we've, we've both come from a background where we didn't really talk about money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th I think I have to kind of jump in there and say that the discomfort didn't come from anything that Laura said. No. Because I think she's really refreshing and, and really real about this subject. And I really appreciated that, that she kind of cuts through those emotions that perhaps you and I were feeling of with just being really real yeah. and kind of saying it how it is and giving the facts um, and certainly listening to some of her her bits and pieces on Instagram or what have you I've kind of picked up that thread from everything that she said is is just really no nonsense advice um, but yeah super uncomfortable um, like you say we it's not something that you sit down and go hey you know, what's your money yeah, situation? No. Um, I mean, even us as sisters, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I don't think we've ever sat down and talked about that at all. And I think it probably makes us, oh, I make us feel comfortable <laughs> just <laughs> contemplating the conversation. But I, I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, we're all on different paths. And I think, I think what I, I think what I've, I've learned when we, we were talking about our, um, our journeys and our money story, I think, yeah. I think Laura calls it. And um, if I think about my money story, you know, I've, I've really realized over the past year that money money doesn't make me happy. No. And that's a very privileged position to be in, I acknowledge. But I think that's a universal, but, mm, you know, okay, yeah, I'm sure money to some people would make a lot of difference and it would bring happiness. But I think there's, every, yeah. you know, it's not about that, is it? It's about what you do with it or, exactly. you know, I think it really made me kind of sit up and really think about, am I doing the right thing with my money now? What can I learn? This mm -hmm. is an, another massive piece of the, the jigsaw for me of like, actually, 
what don't I know about this? And I don't know anything. No. I have no clue. I, I, and then I think about um, potentially lots of people out there who this is simply, you know, a, a completely unknown world. And, you know, if there's small things that we can do to try and um, secure a better old age yeah. or something, then why would we not do it? And I think the thing that I remember thinking when she was speaking was that I find the disempowerment I feel about money because I don't feel like I understand mm -hmm. it. I don't understand about investing. I don't understand about interest rates and returns. And I, how that manifests itself in me is kind of frustration. Mm -hmm. And it can be, you know, almost anger a little bit because I feel triggered by it. I feel mm -hmm. like I don't understand. And then I get defensive and, and, and that just eats away at, Actually, it goes to the heart of what we say, you know, it's where my my efficiency and my productivity and, and yeah. overall my anxiety and stress levels. So empowering yourself with knowledge, I think, is is incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I think, as Laura pointed out, like it, it doesn't have to be this really boring, you know, yeah. black and white accountant chat. Laura brings so much personality yeah, yeah. and is so engaging. You want to learn from her and you want yeah, to know exactly. more. So, and you wouldn't, I think she opens the door to asking as well. Yeah. I just want to kind of um, circle back a tiny bit to what you were saying about the emotions you feel because you don't kind of understand it. And it kind of was making me think about um, ego states and transactional analysis and this kind of idea that as adults, we hope to stay in the adult ego state. It's interesting that money kind of acts as a, parents day and it and can be quite controlling and because it controls us it can then push us either into rebellious child or yeah. submissive child and kind of when you were saying about I was kind of hearing this kind of slightly rebellious child of right right well I'll do what I want with my money yes. and I'll, I'll go and spend it as I wish and nobody's going to tell me yes. it's so emotive isn't it how money can kind of push your buttons mm -hmm. and change you out of kind of rational, reasonable, sensible adult to, you know, quite, you know, so either submission of being scared and afraid or, you know, rebellious and angry and all of those kind of things. So it's, it's, it's so divisive. And it and it's, again, something about, you know, communication, and you know, that the is a huge contributing factor to, uh, to every every kind of error is communication across different professions. But because we can't talk about it, yeah. how many errors do we make and I'm not talking about like safety errors or what have you but how many errors are we making like going out for dinner where do you want to go you know actually are we listening to other people and what they can afford or are we you know what are our drivers for yes and how can we actually talk about that and say you know what's is it a question that you can kind of add add to the conversation mm. is what's your budget for this you know how much do you want to spend or you know are we are we going large tonight or, or, yeah, or exactly. do we need to keep it quiet it, what what what's the boundaries of it and how do we normalize kind of talking about them I, I just thought it was so thought-provoking the whole thing I do wonder sometimes from what you were saying is it's it's, it's almost shame in, yeah, in yeah. myself that I don't I don't want to be the one who's like I can't I, you know I can't go afford to go out for dinner this this month with your yeah. guys or I can't afford to go there but why is that? Like, that's yeah, just, exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's almost it's like just, poker, isn't it? Or yeah. something like that. It's like, if you show your hand, then you're showing your weakness or yeah. something. But, but it's not got to be like that, has it? I don't, well, I, I money think shouldn't what, define weakness and strength, really. Exactly. I mean, I think maybe the world would say otherwise. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I really like the fact that Laura kind of enabled us to have a, like a bit more of a, mm. a different viewpoint on it. Yeah. 
and perhaps start those conversations and perhaps for anybody listening to this maybe if there is anybody listening to it um, <laughs> then um maybe they all start thinking actually how can I be more aware of this and would it be such a hard comment to make or what's your budget or yeah, you know it's true also I have to say I've started following Laura on Instagram since um since we met her and it, it yeah it's enlightening really bite-sized bits of information that even my small frazzled money <laughs> money uh I don't know ignorant brain can can digest yes. so I think you know it like I think we said on the when we were chatting to her you know encouraging people just to listen mm. and kind of let it come in passively as well and start and also I suppose it all goes back to this whole thing we talk about every week it all comes back to curiosity yeah because exactly. again like ask the questions yeah. find out how to do it yeah but, but and, yeah great great episode really um gave us a huge amount to and I love that she gave us the three, like from a money mindset point of view, three thriving tips from money mindset and three personal yeah. thriving tips. I really love that. So, yeah. Looking forward to working with Laura more, hopefully. Yes, that Agreed. would be very cool. <laughs> <laughs>